Yo, what's good, Internet? It's the Harvest of Colin Atrophy, and I'm very happy to welcome you to episode number 39 of Life Harvester Radio. And um, the guest this month is Jimmy Webb, uh, a fixture of New York City punk for so many years, um, for my whole life. I, you know, I thought he had been there forever. Um, turned out he came and went a little bit, but um, the truth is he was just there on St. Mark's all the time. Um, and he is a very special person. He's like a, was a queer icon in New York City punk. He was um, someone who bridged a lot of gaps between, he was one of the first sober people I ever heard of that still seemed cool. Um, and I'll mostly let him talk about this stuff in his own words. And um, he was not someone I was close with, but uh, my friend Mikey Siemens, who uh, used to run Mind Cure Records and currently is a co-owner of the Sitkiatnin Muay Thai Gym in uh, Pittsburgh that Becca and I go to, um, he, uh, he and Jimmy were close and he conducted this interview for a podcast that I guess wasn't meant to be. Um, and when Jimmy passed away a few days ago, um, Mikey gave this interview to me to run on my podcast so that more people could hear it. And um, I'm so glad, and I can't wait for you to listen. Jimmy's amazing. Um, and, you know, please just uh, spend some time with this. I hope everyone's well. All right. Rest in peace, Jimmy. So I'm sitting here with my dear friend, Jimmy Webb, who I don't even know how to begin to describe other than saying you are a legend of New York City and a wonderful, beautiful person that I'm happy to call my friend. Wow. Thanks. I'm happy to call you my friend, too. Uh, Legend's a pretty big word, though. I don't know if I really like the word legend. It's kind of overused. Everyone hashtags legend or says legend, legend. You know, I just look at it, I mean, legendary is like Judy Garland, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, well, I don't have a black alma mink, you know, and then, <laughs> well, like okay. the What Becomes a Legend Mo series. <laughs> I'm not in that yet. Not yet. Not, well, so, well, all right, so well, how would you, how would you describe yourself? I mean, you Fortunate. Got, fortunate. And I'm alive, um, I'm alive, I'm still alive. And I can still make a t- sentence and tell the story. I've lived a lot of history in New York. You know, I came here in 1975 from a small town upstate. I grew up with a pet goat, you know what I mean? <laughs> and there wasn't even another black person in my town. And I came to New York City in 1975 with my clothes in a pillowcase and not a penny in my pocket. And I didn't really know anybody. Um, I didn't know anybody at all would be the true story, and um, and I'm still alive and can make a sentence. If that makes me a legend, mm, I don't know. Well, I mean, that's a, a slightly abridged version of the story that might <laughs> leave out some of the details. I've also got to mention right now, if you're listening, you can hear Jimmy's jewelry jingling. That So we're just going to acknowledge that right now, that that's his, his trademark bracelets that you hear in the background yeah, there. Yeah, make noise. Like, a, like little jingle bells or something. <laughs> Rock you know, and roll jingle bells. You're not, sne- <laughs> you're not sneaking up on anybody. <laughs> well, so 
before you put your clothes in a pillowcase and came to New York, what was it that drew you to the city? I mean, you know, New York has a magnetic quality for many people, but for you, what was it that drew you in? Wow. Um, it's the same story all the time. Two things happened. There's two things. I was walking to the creek, the pond, as it's called, in my small town. I was about 13 years old. I was walking with my friend Sue and her older sister and her sister's friend, and we were going to drink some Boone's Farm in Tango. And as we walked through the fields on the way to the creek in the pond, um, we had a transistor radio, if anybody even knows what they are. And uh, on this transistor radio, came take a walk on the wild side all right the do 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 and i remember my friend sue saying listen to this song do you know what it means or or something of that you know like that and i um and although i didn't know what it meant i knew exactly what it meant I mean, I had a pet goat. I didn't know what a tranny was. I didn't know what a hustler was. I didn't know what heroin was. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know any of that. You know what I mean? I didn't know what a guy shaving his legs, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, coming from <laughs> was. And uh, but I knew I had to go. Mm -hmm. I knew my soul said, "You're going to take a walk on the wild side. You have to go to the wild side." AKA you have to be a free spirit and you have to go find yourself and live the color you're supposed to be in this world. Mm -hmm. And that's how I knew. I didn't know it was gonna be New York. I didn't know anything like that. That, and this was really kind of ironic, hand in hand with when I was in high school, I was in the play Hello Dolly, <laughs> and there's a great song. It's the two characters Cornelius and Barnaby and one says to the other there's a world outside of there Barnaby and we got to go live in it and that's what I knew I knew there was more than a pet goat in my existence I knew that there was more than where I was I knew that there was a world outside there and I wanted to go live in it mm -hmm. you know and I mean you really and you really have you've made your mark on the city and I mean you've been I don't know I mean I don't even yeah, know what I mean, to say. Yeah, when I showed up here, because, you know, I'll fast forward. Yeah. You know, I graduated high school a year early and not on major intelligence. I don't know if you want to call it the grace of God or mm. it was supposed to happen or it is what it is because I didn't study and I mm. wasn't a good student. And, and I, you know, grew up ostracized like most of us and whatever. And I went to college. So I graduated early, went to college in Connecticut. I lived with a bunch of hippies. I made a few friends there. I stuck out my thumb. I did it just the opposite of Hollywood Long and Candy Darling. And I hitchhiked to Florida where I ran into these two older gay guys. This is the real long version of the story who just whined and dined me because I was a thing called chicken back then. I didn't know what a chicken was. I thought a chicken went in the pot on the stove. You know what I mean? Actually, I'm such a hillbilly. I never tell this story. On my cousin's 10th birthday, and it was a girl, my cousin Linda, we went to a chicken farm where they slaughtered the chickens. They cut their heads off and prepared them for inter inter you know winter eating um so here i am the other chicken in florida picked up by these two gay guys with no strings attached you know because when you're young and beautiful you can get away with a lot through innocence and flown to new york you know okay. they brought me to new york with my clothes shoved in the hotel room pillowcase i only had about four garments of clothes and they brought me to new york shortly thereafter 
I took off into the streets of New York by myself. Okay. And when I first got here and I walked every inch of the story, it was magical. It was amazing. It's 1975 New York City. You have your pimps and your hookers. And you have your amazing black exploitation movies. You know, black exploitation was black exploitation because it was true. It was an element of society. It mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, you had, uh, oh my God, it was just, just so magical and wonderful and colorful. Park Avenue ladies, Wall Street businessmen, trannies, leather daddies. You know, it was so. This is even pre Studio 54 and pre punk rock, two worlds I dove deeply into. And oh my God, it was just like. It was like, it was beautiful. It, 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 was, it was like, oh my God, there's a great old television show called That Girl with Marlo Thomas where she's in New York City and she's just looking with her eyes wide open. That was me in the candy store of New York City. Only it was the Jim Carrolls, the runaway boys. The, yeah, I was a runaway boy. You know what I was? My buddy Iggy's got it right. I was a street walking cheetah in a heart full of napalm. I was a runaway boy in the age of the nuclear bomb. That's literally what I was. And it was awesome. It still is awesome. And so where? how hard was it to find the Jim Carrolls? How hard was it to find... They were everywhere, dude. We were running the streets, dude. We were running the streets. You know that whole My Private Idaho thing with Jim Carroll or Mysterious Skin with Joseph Gordon-Levitt? That's a real world. Yeah. We were street boys. They're a little shack. I mean, I became a bleached blonde immediately. This friend of mine, Jamie, you know, we ate a lot of acid and he bleached my hair. Mm -hmm. And, um... And, um... It was everywhere. It's like, it's nothing like it is now. There was no social media, so you couldn't look shit up. You just had to be. Mm -hmm. There were no carbon copies. We were all originals. Yo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah? And so what was, you know, where did you live when you first got here? Did you just live? You know I mean, what? I hate that question. Okay. Because, you know, I'm going to tell you why I hate that question. Because that question doesn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I lived on other people's couches. Mm -hmm. I lived in the street. Mm -hmm. I mean... It, I've been walking around New York as a grown man and going back, like, first I lived on the Upper West Side, and, um, uh, and none of the buildings really hardly exist that mm -hmm. were there anymore. The structures live there, because I came in here right after Needle Park ended, like, okay. Needle Park was just o over. The movie Panic in Needle Park was filmed there, and I lived right on 71st and Broadway. But when you're young and you're cute, or you get a job working in a hamburger restaurant you live with other boys your age and you just do what you do mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's not where i lived how about if i just fucking lived all right that's even better you know what i mean yeah. nothing was structured you didn't think about it yeah you know what i mean i guess i'd never thought about it that way before you yeah. know i find it i'm gonna be really honest this isn't towards you i find it one of the most annoying questions ever where did you live how did you eat what did you do there were times i lived in a cardboard box mm -hmm. Sometimes looking good, sometimes not looking so good. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that, you know, with New York, the conversation of where you live in real estate seems to dominate so much of the, so much of the conversation. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. No, no, that's that. a, no. Like nowadays, it's mm -hmm. a very New York question. You know, you know, you go other places and you don't ask people how much is your rent. Right. You know, now you ask people like how much is your rent. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I mean, like, if, if like if you were to ask me, like, let me, how did you go from a cardboard box to a condo on Twenty Fifth and Lex mm -hmm. with lower middle class parents that have no money? Mm -hmm. I don't know how I did it. Yeah, I took a walk on the wild side. I yeah. got blessed. You know, I did some bad things and I did some good things. Mm -hmm. Only when I started doing the good things, though, did the good life come. It came back. It came. It came to you when you changed to yeah. be the good person. Yeah, like integrity and character carries you farther than anything else in the world. Yeah, you know, it's just with, and it's funny because you wouldn't think that I was just with John Waters and Iggy and Iggy Pop. Some people are like are Iggy who were that other Iggy, that girl. What's that girl, Iggy? Oh, um, Iggy Azalea. Yeah, it's like you say Iggy, they think you're talking about Iggy Azalea. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen her in any history books yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those books are yet to have been written. <laughs> and maybe she will get into them. Let me not judge. But um, I just said Iggy and um, John Waters. And, and I've never met... Well, I've met many with it. But they have such integrity and character. Mm -hmm. And they're so about integrity and character. And it's like... How do you get to be an Iggy or a John Waters? Mm -hmm. Through integrity and character. Yeah? And, and, and doing the right thing for the right reason. And being the color you're supposed to be in the world. You know, I always consider life like a crayon box. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly my story. I didn't want to be, like, in the box of eight crayons. Mm -hmm. It's kind of lame, that one, dude. And yeah. it's not very colorful. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and the box of 12 was okay. And the box of 48 is okay. But then when you graduate to the 64, mm -hmm. and there's like several shades of pink, mm -hmm. you find out what color pink you want to be. You know what I mean? And it's like, yep, that's rock and roll. Yeah? <laughs> well, it's, all right. So to, to shy away from where did you live? But like what, what was... The city, like, how did you, like, what was, um, do you remember when you, f like, first started seeing the beginnings of punk rock or the first started beginnings of this, you know, like, the, 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 the post, um, you know, Lou Reed Velvet's Max's scene, or were you here for that already? You know, here, here, yeah, well, I came at the end of Max's, mm -hmm. but it was a city of diversity, and that's what was so beautiful about it, you know the rich and the poor, the fancy and the non-fancy. And there's very, because I have to do things, because I ended up with a major drug problem, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's when you realize drugs are not good when there's nothing left. And it's better not to do them so you can be the right color pink or whatever yeah. color you choose to be. But, and you can have lots of jewelry. <laughs> you don't spend your money on drugs. Yes, <laughs> lots of it. <laughs> Uh, good jewelry too um, but there's many many moments when you ask me do I remember any defining moments and there's such diversity in them I think one of my most punk rock or rock and roll moments was when I stepped on the dance floor to Studio 54 mm -hmm. truthfully I remember it so well you know I just did their radio show and it was so much fun to go back and like you know relive the moments or tell the stories and you know, it's just this amazing little punk rock boy, and there used to be a there used to be a great old male hustler bar, very Jim Carroll esque on Eighth Avenue called the Haymarket. You know, mm -hmm. where all the beautiful boys hung out and sold their wares. You know what I mean? I remember this one Billy. He was so inspirational and so great. He looked just like a Jagger. He looked just like Mick Jagger. It was awesome. 
you know, and, and across the street and up a few blocks was this major tranny bar, dude. The kind where a tranny could carry a razor blade in her mouth. It was like, whoa, dude, how are you pulling that shit off? Dude, it's like awesome. <laughs> Called the Gilded Grape. And then Studio 54 was up around the corner on West 54th Street. So me, I had no money. I worked in a burger joint on uh, Fifth Avenue called Brew Burger. And, it, you know, it's just this pretty little androgynous type boy and who lived with these other boys and out in some shitty apartment. We didn't even have any lights. I remember we didn't even have any lights. And then we finally got lights so you could get dressed to go out in the light. And my very first night of going to Studio 54, which was life-changing, was me mostly dressed out of clothes I found in the garbage. I had this one pair of pants I wore every day that had so many holes in them. They were just like ripped to shreds. Actually, those I took out of this guy Joseph's closet because he was going to cut them up into rags. It's like, no, 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 no. I need to wear those pants. And I put those pants on. And Johnny Rotten's the only one I ever heard that got it right. When he's in the filth and the fury, he, he put a little tear in my. He's talking about safety pins. And we didn't wear safety pins to be fashionable. We originally wore them to hold our clothes on. You know what I mean? But then, of course, you throw a little bit of speed in your head and a little bit of acid, dude. You're loving those safety pins, dude. You're creating whole things. You know what I mean? So it was me, some drugs, and my safety pins and my ripped pants. And I remember putting night. Iggy Pop's The Idiot was on the record player. And I remember getting dressed to nightclubbing mm-hmm. so well and putting on those ripped pants and putting in the safety pins and throwing on a shitty old T-shirt and some fucking high-heeled boots that came off 34th Street, which was filled with shoe stores. 34th Street and West 8th Street was filled with te- shoe stores. And headed out the door, very Visconti's the damned. I didn't know anything about art then, but dude, I see myself in movies all the time now. It's like, damn. <laughs> and heading to uh, up past the Haymarket, up past the Gilded Grapes, saying hello to the boys and girls, Headed down West 54th Street, boa in hand. I would carry a boa everywhere. Boas are very fascinating, and they're so much fun. And in the 70s, they were amazing. And headed down that street uh, to Studio 54 with the big marquee out front, just boom, boom, that song nightclubbing in my mind, and, uh, and just being waved right into this magical, wonderful world. And um, walking through the crowd... And listening to the music, and it had this amazing hallway, like this gorgeous, gorgeous, amazing hallway that just took you to another, the beginning of another planet. It was like the ride, only you were walking, and you would walk down that hallway, and then these doors would open up. And I always kind of remember, I always showed up while Jagger's Miss You was playing. It's kind of like odd that that just kind of happened to me. And... I think that was a few visits later, and just looking at this place. So here's this amazing, for lack of a better term, punk rock boy with the bleach blonde Billy Idol haircut. I hadn't seen a Billy Idol yet, though, but I have nothing to tell you about it, but that I had that hair, the Rod Stewart haircut, Mm -hmm. because he had that haircut way before Billy Idol had that haircut. We've all had that rooster boy haircut. Here I am at 60 years old, sitting with that same fucking haircut. And, uh... Headed to that dance floor and looking at the likes of other boys and girls like myself, Mm -hmm. probably dressed out of the garbage, Truman Capote, Nuriev, the gorgeous, amazing 
Bianca Jagger. Oh my God, she was so magical. She was so gorgeous. And this is like pre-77, okay? Or maybe it's 78. I just, um, and that dance floor was like one step down. Like it was one step down. And I stood at the edge of that dance floor and I know if I take this step, my life is never, ever, 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 ever gonna be the same, ever. And I stepped down onto that dance floor and my life was never the same. It was so magical and wonderful and took me to a place where I am so thankful I got to go to, to be the man I am today, dancing with the Debbie Harrys and the, and the Mick Jaggers and the Biancas and the Truman Capotes and, and, and everybody in between. I'm just using the names that you know public mm-hmm. so you have a comparison, you know? As the moon and the spoon came down, you know? That led me down to St. Mark's Place, very Gia. Yeah. You know, very like Gia, the model Gia, just like Gia, Gia was so gorgeous, so gorgeous. You know what I mean? Then heading downtown, you know what I mean? To, and finding the whole heroin world, you know what I mean? And um, and yeah, wow. Then downtown was all your nasty ass like hookers and your like Johnny Thunders type people. And, and, and it was a very different world then. This is what I want to say. I found, I talk about it as much as I can. It was a world then, if you step below 14th Street, there was above 14th Street and there was below 14th Street, and both are amazing. If you're going to come to New York and you're going to stay below 14th Street, what are you doing in New York? If you're going to come to New York and stay above 14th Street, what are you doing in New York? New York's New York to do all of New York. Mm. Live it all. Honey, live it all, dude. <laughs> how can you say you're rock and roll or how can you say you're punk rock or how can you say you're New York and stay in one little community? Yeah, you go to the restaurant you like the most in life, but dude, you better step out and try some other shit or you ain't nothing, right? <laughs> go to the Bronx, hang out on 146 in the Grand Concourse. You know what I mean? It's like, yo, this is what New York's about. You know what I mean? I just was at... It's just at the Apollo Theater with Guns N' Roses, dude. I never made it to the Apollo Theater. That's one thing. This is my life. I have the most amazing, gorgeous life. My life has always take, has now taken me to the Apollo Theater with Guns N' Roses. And I'm like, damn. I'm like looking at that stage and I was like, that's where James Brown played. This was awesome. But I gotta admit, I'm a little embarrassed. The first time I make it to the Apollo Theater and I go with a bunch of white people. <laughs> it's like, well, but, um,. But it was amazing. And the reason I'm bringing all this up with such passion, that's what New York's about. Mm -hmm. This is where a city where dreams can come true. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's funny because watching Guns N' Roses at the Apollo Theater, I was going back to that early, early show of them at the Ritz, that world famous show that made them so famous when they did the Ritz where I've seen Marianne Faithful a hundred times in that black slip singing broken English, where Tina Turner did her comeback show. You know what I mean? Tell me I'm not rock and roll, right? It's like people say, you're not rock and roll. You like Guns N' Roses. You're not punk rock. You're not, it's like, you're a sellout. You're a sellout. It's like, dude, be whatever you want. You, you can't be a sellout and live it all. You have to live with diversity. You have to live with a lust for life, and that means everything. Um, so, um, God, I'm getting all over the place because I have so much fun. It's all great. I have so much fun. Um, 
so Guns N' Roses had completely outdone their show. They had done it. It's like 30 years later, and they had done it, but this time at the Apollo. It was amazing. You know, three hours in, with a whole room of people dancing, it was incredible. It was incredible. And that's, you tell me, where can a boy come that has a pet coat and end up at the Apollo Theater with Guns N' Roses? It's only going to happen in the streets in New York. Yeah, it's only going to happen here. I don't know where anywhere else where that could happen. Yeah, I I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so you have like the Studio Fifty. You know, you go to Studio Fifty Four. You right. get introduced to the world downtown uh-huh. through Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, isn't that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We go, Disco sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking to John Holstrom, and that was a whole joke. He talks about it a lot. Mm-hmm. That whole disco sucks thing. Mm-hmm. That was a joke. That was just put on a T-shirt as a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what was the, I mean, what was the, the world of downtown like compared to what was going on? It was so colorful and so beautiful. Again, colorful. It was very, very colorful. And it was very loving and it was very giving and it was a very much a community. Um, it was a community of the little old, I always thought they were Polish because what did I know? I have no prejudice in me. All the little Ukrainian people that used to live downtown, the little old Ukrainian ladies and men that were sitting in Thompson Square Park. It was a world full, like you would walk down the street again to use downtown people you'd see klaus nomi you'd see the new york dolls you'd see johnny thunders you would see you know wonderful spacely you know the movie story of a junkie that's a which trauma um was originally called gringo that's a pretty good depiction of the lower east side now um you had your gay bathhouse on saint mark Street, the saint mark's bath so you had all your gay leather daddies this is pre-aids and and in the 70s it was very colorful but it was a very giving community it was very very um i'm gonna produce the bracelets again it was an era where everyone was so unique i mean what did i just talk about i just talked about a tranny Mm-hmm. There was plenty of hookers around, too. Uh, I talked about Klaus Nomi. Mm-hmm. I talked about Johnny Thunders. I talked about the New York Dolls. And mm-hmm. I talked about little old Ukrainian men and women. Mm-hmm. And they all, oh, and there was the amazing Puerto Ricans over on Avenue A, B, C, and D, because I went all the way. Mm-hmm. When I went somewhere, I went all the way to the end of the earth. If I said I was going to take that walk, I took that walk. And I found people very welcoming. You know, the Puerto Rican community on the Lower East Side where they played dominoes in the streets and other little religious candles on the ground and Christmas lights up all year long. That's where I got my Christmas light addiction, dude. Maybe I only use pink and purple lights and fill my house with them, but that came from the Puerto Ricans in the Lower East Side in the 70s. They keep those lights up all year long in the window. <laughs> God bless them. And... Um, so look at that diversity. That's mm-hmm. what the Lower East Side was together. But everybody gave somebody something. It mm-hmm. was an era, when I say I'm going to use my bracelets, it's a very covetous world right now. Mm-hmm. Everyone, and I'm not trying to talk shit about people. I just notice there's a lot of people think they're the first person that uh, thought of it. Oh, I'm the first person that stuck a safety pin in my ear and hung a gun on it. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. You know what I mean? I'm the first person that ripped up my fishnet stockings and did it. No, you're not. Let's go back to Hollywood lawn in the late 60s and the Andy Warhol movies. You look just like that tranny, honey. You know what I mean? You're just on stage singing a punk rock song in 2000-whatever. You know what I mean? But, honey, you look just like Candy Darling in, like, Hollywood lawn. 
you're not the first and you won't even get to be the last. <laughs> There's a million of them like you. <laughs> but it was a world of, this is what I want to say about it. It was a world of, of generosity of spirit. Like, I find um, society very covetous right now. Mm-hmm. And very flash in the pan. And it was a world where you would... Oh, God, I'm looking at the rock and roll tattoo on your arm. And it's so perfect as I'm saying this. It was a world of when you would go up the street and you would see someone cool and you would just grab their bracelets and you'd say, wow, cool bracelet. Mm -hmm. And you would be happy for them. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, I find it like cool bracelet and they kind of want it. (laughs) Or the next day, they're kind of wearing it you yeah. know what i mean in in not a flattering kind of way mm-hmm. you know so when you ask me this isn't to put down society now this isn't to put down technology you know I, anybody that listens to this, oh that guy's a fucking dick he thinks no 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 you're just asking me the history mm-hmm. and i am telling you the yeah. history it was a history of a lot of community a lot of a lot of um diversity, mm-hmm. a lot of outreach. You know, remember the, the Allen Street Boys, God, I could do a whole Lower East Side tour, which was a gang, and they would have a food pantry in what is now the Cristadora, where Iggy lived with Suchi for a while. It's a beautiful big condo building, mm-hmm. and it was a bombed-out building, and they would have a food pantry for the poor people, and they were street gangs. It was very kind of Robin Hood, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, uh, and that's pretty... Um, real deal and telling of the community it was also that guy that like cooked up the, served free soup in the park the ballerina they cooked the ballerina yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 thank god you know it's yeah. funny it's like thank god i never took any soup from anybody in the park what's funny is that I, there's one person who i know that claims that they are fairly certain they ate some of that soup oh, i'm so that sucks that's cannibalism yeah dude. but then there's a lot of other people who will say like oh yeah you know like like try to sort of use that as some sort of like Props? cool points or something yeah i don't so, even well, know how is that cool point i don't know yeah. i don't even think that it's possible based on how old they are that they could have eaten that soup but you know whatever that's a whole that's a yeah. whole other whole other story it's like the whole squatters rights things right now that i got a home you ain't coming to live in my backyard for free <laughs> get out of here dude i work too hard <laughs> What about when they call us posers? Let me figure that. How do you like being called a poser at your age? It's like, you loser dude. It's like, it's like I'm not even going to validate this. Yeah. So then, um, CBs is going at that point, and there's like the whole world going on. on, yeah, the, on CBs, I mean, it's. C- yeah. CBs was uh, pretty amazing in a world. You know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And I remember more of the closing of CBs than the opening. I don't know if it's because it was like my drug addiction or my diversity. It was Aturo Vega, the amazing, wonderful Aturo Vega, who added so much to this world just by what he did hand in hand with the Ramones and his famous loft on Second Street. And for me, on a personal level, I said, you know what, Jimmy? You were great. We said, you really had it going on because you didn't stick in one community. You went everywhere from place to place or, you know, that amazing, wonderful book, Please Kill Me. That's a pretty good, accurate story of that world. And um, because it's literally people's sentences of what they said, um, 
was going on. But for me personally, for any questions when you ask me about CBs, I was in and out of so many worlds, and mm -hmm. I was like so high for so many years mm -hmm. that um, it. Uh, I don't really remember anything, but I remember everything. Okay. It's like a soundtrack in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a good way of putting it. I like yeah. That. And all these great moments. The ending. The end. I remember more of the ending moments of my life. I remember more of the end of CBGBs mm -hmm. than the beginnings or middle of CBGBs, other than being in that shitty place and the holes in the floor and then not going to the bathroom because I wasn't going to go to the bathroom in there. Mm -hmm. You know, just not something I wanted to do. Uh, I remember in the end, in the last few months, visiting Hilly a lot in the afternoon. Yeah, I two of my fondest memories of CBGBs actually are, um, on a personal level, is uh, when um, when New York City named the street after Joey Ramone. Joey mm -hmm. was a good customer of mine, and he was became my friend, and I adored him and his mother. You know, I used to sell him black jeans all the time, and um, and his mom had asked me to speak when the city named a street after CBGB's, after Joey. And they had it at CBGB's. And, um, and this is the beauty of life. And this is the beauty of punk rock. And this is the beauty of longevity. That's a better word than legend, longevity. And his mom had asked me to speak. And Joey was the kindest, sweetest, one of those kindest, sweetest men ever. And um, come on, dude, punk rock. Leaving this planet, dying of cancer, singing What a Wonderful World. If that's not punk rock, dude, if you can't grasp onto that, then you go need to you need you need to live a little more. <laughs> like listen to a few more songs. That's the most punk rock thing ever, dude. You're dying and you're singing What a Wonderful World. Whoa. Damn. Dude. Woo. Woo. Damn. Awesome. But anyhow, his mom had asked me to speak, and that morning I had uh uh, gotten up and I lived on Wall Street at the time. How cool is that, dude? I lived on Wall Street. Yo! <laughs> and uh, talk about diversity. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking, what am I going to say? But I never think about what I'm going to say. Like when you asked me to sit down here, I was like, well, what are we going to talk about? You're like, oh, I'm just going to ask you questions about your life. So I'm sitting here. So um, I said, well, I'm not going to think about it. But what flashed through my mind was... This one, everyone comes and asks me questions like about life because I am, I have been around a long time mm -hmm. and I don't lie <laughs> and I can make a sentence. So everything I tell you is going to be from my perspective and the truth. And I thought of this one little black boy that used to come ask me questions about, tell me about Joey Ramone or tell me about Debbie Harry or tell me about CBGBs or tell me. And he was like seven or eight. I'm never going to forget him. And he would come with his dad and ask me questions where I worked at the time. And, um, and, uh, I, he just flashed through my mind. So I hopped in a cab. I got up to CBGBs, ended up at the front of the stage. I'm sitting on the stage, you know, Joe's, Joey's mom, Charlotte's right beside me. I'm going to get really emotional and sincere right now. And the place starts filling up like crazy. Right. And it is packed. It is a room packed with so much love. 
I can't even begin to tell you how much love is in that robe. And everyone's going up and telling a story. Jim Jarmusch, Tish and Snooky, everyone in the history of New York, not long before me, but that was way more personal and close to that scene than me. Remember, I'm the guy that wanders in and out. I'm uptown dancing and downtown dancing. So I am not a part of the way they are, you know? And uh, uh, Jim Jarmusch is one of my favorite people in the world, so he he knows how to document history. Jesse Mallon, everyone, and it's packed. And um, Joey's mom is like telling me, well, now it's your time. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I said, this, this place is, um, there's way too many people in here that are way closer to like, that world did me. You don't even, she goes, no, 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 Joey loved you and I want you to talk and you were part of our lives. Because for me, um, Joey would come by pants with his mom. That's how I know Joey Ramone, shopping with his mom and selling him pants. And uh, So I was like, well, okay, because you can't tell the mom no. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is my memory of CB. It's one of my favorite two memories. And I, I stood up, I just kept helping people on that stage and I walked up to that microphone and oh my god I kind of spoiled the story the give and take of that love mm-hmm. that room was so packed with so much love coming forward and so much love going out I can't even tell you and that room was so packed and they had told me at the stage and which is the first thing I said I was like oh my god feel the love in this room feel the love in this room and the history in this room you know and, and it spilled out into the streets and took over two city blocks outside up to where they were going to name the street. And I looked down, because I didn't know what I was going to say, still. And at the front of that stage was that little black boy. And I knew exactly what I was going to say. I started talking about him. And here it is decades later. And here I have a little seven-year-old still coming to me with the brightest, whitest eyes, saying, hey, Can you tell me about Joey Ramone? And then I talked about to the simplicity of my experience with him as a person and the laughter we would share was shopping for a pair of pants. Mm -hmm. And who else in the world could have made a pair of pants so famous (laughs) other than Joey Ramone? (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's how we touched the world. And that's my number one memories of CBGBs because I can say the sincerity, Mm -hmm. the authenticity, and the truth mm-hmm. it brought to the world. Musically, artistically, right down to the holes in the floors. And the very last time I was at CBGB's was the second last night. I didn't go to hardly any of the shows. As I say, I would go into the daytime mm-hmm. and hang out with Hilly. I liked Hilly, and Hilly liked me. And as older gentlemen, we could have great conversations. And seeing that place in the daytime in the last month was probably really good for me, but it was really like a trip, let me tell you. And my very last time at CBGB's, another thing CBGB's gave to the world and me was um, the second to last night was Debbie Harry singing. So I went to see Debbie. I love Debbie, and she happened to end up a good friend too. And when you go see Debbie Harry, eh, you got to bring flowers, dude. And you got to bring nice flowers. You can't go to the corner market and buy flowers at the fruit stand. You got to order some nice flowers, right? So I went with flowers. And I showed up to the venue, and, you know, they. Again, they you know they kind of waved me right in, <laughs> you know what I mean, and, and I walked from the beginning, from the back of the venue to the front of the venue, and I had to keep this big beautiful bouquet above my head, 
And I walked towards the stage, and it was simultaneously as Debbie was walking on the stage. And, oh my God, I have a picture of it downstairs, actually, <laughs> that night. And, um, and I went up front, and I did a bow, as a gentleman bows to a lady, and she called me on up, and I went up and I gave her the flowers, and she kissed me on the lips. And when Debbie Harry kisses you on the lips, I've been kissed on the lips a handful of times by Debbie Harry. Fucking amazing. <laughs> Let me tell you, dude. It's like melt. Like the knees wobble and whatever. Where else can a boy go but New York City to be kissed on the lips by Debbie Harry? Woo! <laughs> this is beyond a walk on the wild side, right? <laughs> Whoa. Anyhow, I gave her the flowers. I went back down and they stood off to the... I never know stage right or stage left, but off to the side of the stage, and I went up on this little thing that used to be there, and I'm watching her. And then it hit me what was happening here. This is the second to last night of history. Something that's changed the world and been a part of my life. Something that I took me from uptown to downtown to back uptown that made me the color pink I am. By the way, I'm rock and roll pink, if you're wondering. Okay? <laughs> it's like, made me the color pink I am that added to my soul, that made me grow up, that took me all the way to the depths of heroin addiction and all the way back, that took me from a small town to the kips, kiss on the lips from Debbie Harry. So I'm sitting there. And all the music that's soaked into the walls is like touching my soul. And I'm watching Debbie. And I started losing it because I knew it was going to be over. You know, it was on to something new. This was the second to last night. So I couldn't handle it. I was like, okay, I got to get out of here because the tears are coming mm -hmm. and this is a bit much. Well, I started heading out that door. <sighs> what CBGBs to me? And just as I started heading forward through a sea of people, Debbie started singing, call me. Call me, call me anytime. And I walked out of that place for the second to last night and my very last time, listening to Debbie sing, call me, call me, call me anytime. And I, wa I was so emotional and so filled with love that that place had given the world and given me personally that I were clearly all the way over to the west side to the river. Only the river on the west side turned me around and sent me back. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, um, Everything's very personal here. It's a yeah. very personal city. Mm -hmm. Well, and so, I mean, for someone who felt like they had a casual relationship with Stevie, those stories are amazing. But Thank you. You, you also... You know, around the same time, I know just from... I'm trying not to reference conversations that we've had other times. You can that other reference people them. Wouldn't. If I don't want to answer, you can reference it. But then, you know, you also, like, you know, Danceateria and the Mud Club and, you know... Right, like, that's my history. Exactly. It's funny. I just went and stood in front of the Mud Club because, you know, I'm opening a store. I'm thinking, what's the name of my store going to be? I need more. <laughs> I actually... I didn't know that. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, trademarked it, LLC'd it, got permission from Iggy to use it. Yo, set to go. <laughs> it's my back tattoo, so I can't forget it. <laughs> if I get lost in the street, I'll just take off my shirt and just send me to I Need More. It's great. Um, what was your question again? Well, so, you know, 
Oh, Dan Tajiri in the Mud Club. I was just in front of the Mud Club. Yeah, I've lived a lot of lives. It was a boy that skipped all around town. It's like, yeah. Because that's how I do things, by decade. Okay, first comes Studio 54. Then comes CBGBs in the Lower East Side. I mean, they're all intermingled. Then comes Danceteria. That's that's when I think of Klaus, and I remember that whole era. That was an amazing era. 80s New York? Mm-hmm. The, oh, when the pyramid opened? Dude, talk about diversity. Talk about non-elitism. You know what I mean? There was no elitism back then. I see a lot of elitism now. And... um I feel it. Maybe I'm crazy. It's like danceteria, skinhead bartenders, trannies dancing on the bar, and everyone having an amazing time to tainted love. Can can it be better than that? All slammed into one place, and you'd go to the pyramid first. Thank God it's still around. Then you'd go to danceteria, and then you'd either go. I think the Mud Club was over by then, but then there was another bar. Uh, oh my God, I can't remember the name of it, but I remember was all these steps upstairs. You would dance till like 10 in the morning. Um, there's AM, PM, there's Danceteria, there's, there's, yeah, it was a sea of clubs, yeah. It was amazing. And you know, you'd just be dancing all night. I remember one night I was just like dancing my ass off because then ecstasy came into the world. It, the good ecstasy, when ecstasy was good. I think it was $8, I lived with an ecstasy dealer. It was a little powder in a capsule. Oh, God, it was so much fun, you know. Talk about tainted love. Woo! It was amazing. I live next door to Glenn O'Brien from TV Party, going to TV Party. It was, like, so much fun. It was me, Glenn O'Brien, my friend Drew, Robert Aaron, who was playing on the the Less Dance album. Um, Oh, my God, what a great time. And all the doors would be open at 302 Mott Street. We had our doors open on the top floor, and we'd wander into each other's apartment, then go to Danceteria, dancing all night, and then on to that, I can't remember the name of that After Hours Club. Oh, God, it was, uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. And it was its whole, I mean, it's intermingled, but it had its own distinct world to it from, you know, what was going on at CB's, what was going on at Studio 54. Like, there was... Um, I think, yeah, because as, yeah, I mean, Studio 54 was a whole, like, different thing. Mm-hmm. That was a whole different thing. And a lot of people, I was listening to Chris Stein, like, talk about it uh, recently. And, um, um, and uh, he was um, talking about how he didn't go there that much, mm-hmm. you know, and he didn't know that world that much. So that was its own world. You know, downtown kind of in, intermingled, but it went through phases phases like mm-hmm. you went from like the cbgb's area slowed down a bit come on then comes all that look at cbgb's in the 90s <laughs> music and that whole crust punk shit which is great if that's what you want to do mm-hmm. but music changed no one was dancing to tainted love or the thompson's twins and mm-hmm. having fun and everyone became very angry oh my god so angry hold on i guess yep. Everyone became like so angry, I noticed. It was a time of a lot of anger in music. And, you know, I'm not about anger. Yeah. So with, you know, you have your 70s disco, 
then you have you know your 70s punk rock then you have your 80s like pyramid danceteria music I want oh that club is called Berlin and you went upstairs to Berlin and you have your mud club thing the mud club was very diverse I remember too mm-hmm. That was a dirty, shitty, amazing place. It was, look at how my voice changes. It was so good. It was so authentic. Uh, uh, authentic. Yeah. And then you have, the, oh, you know what happened? There's a great movie called uh, uh, Party Monster. The real one, not mm-hmm. the one with McKay Cawkin, the one with uh, James St. James. And then the club kids came. Now, by this time, I'm strung out and living in Thompson Square Park as a heroin addict. You know, I lived, I'm not, I lived in there. Like, I am part of the problem. But for a while, I was not part of the solution. As they say, I was part of the problem. I lived in Thompson Square in a cardboard box as a heroin addict. Not a good luck, dude. There were no bracelets on my arm. <laughs> it's like, not a good look at all. Heroin addiction is not a good look. Um... Living in a cardboard box is not a good luck at the end of it. You know, it doesn't go well with age. Um, and when the police have to come and kick you out of the park, that's not a good luck either. Which is something I really want to talk about. I'm talking about civil rights. I, mean, I have my own little civil rights movement here going on. What is this thing? You know, when people yell squatters' rights, if you want to do squatters' rights right, and you want to take over a building, and I know a couple of people that have successful whole buildings that are little communities. I don't mean communities within themselves. I mean they pay their rent and they go out and look in the world and the building functions and they did it right. Um, But to think you can go live in a park Mm -hmm. and kick those little Ukrainian like men and women out of the park or the poor Little children, you know what I mean? From the lower, lower, from avenues A, B, C, and D. I mean, those were really poor people back in the day. Remember? Generous beyond belief. I mean, they knew how to cook rice on a barbecue and they'd share it with you. Mm -hmm. I'm a white boy. I never saw anything like that before. But when you think you can go in and take over a park and kick the local community out and, like, not wash your ass, if I can say that on here, and not wash your fucking balls and stink up public air, and you think you can shoot heroin, like, in front of whoever you want or shoot cocaine in front of whoever you want, disregarding the little children on the swing sets. Dude, you suck, dude. What makes... What's so right about that? What about the original community that lived there? Then you think it's yours? That's just not okay. It's not okay. And how do I know that's how it was? Because I did it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying when those riots happened. I lived in the park till two days before the riots. And then my mom came and got me and took me back to my little small town USA where I got it together. And now I'm the man before you that talks now. Um, I came back to the city and did it the right way. Um, but I just don't think that's like okay. You no. know, it's not okay. You know what I mean? It's not okay. That's decay. You know what I mean? It's like rotting, you know? And so you, I mean, you go, you go home, you go, you know, you, you get, I don't know what the, what the easiest way to put it, you, you clean up your act. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, you now have this new store opening, which I didn't know the name of until right yeah. now. Um, so it's, I mean, it's like a beautiful success story. Of having, you know, experienced the city and here you are with this start of a new chapter. 
you know, these people aren't going to know it, but the world knows it. You know it. One of my biggest guiding lights um, is Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. He's been my hero all the way, and now to call him one of my dearest friends means the world to me. He's been a guiding light my whole life. He and his music, long before we were friends and still to this day, well, back then they took, it, they took me all the way to the gutter and brought me all the way back to the man I am today, to this great, big, gorgeous, beautiful life I have. What are the things that show me I have a beautiful life? And I'll hop back to Iggy. Three times in my life I've been blessed with um, the fact that a, a terminally ill kid wanted to meet me. Like their wish in life granted to them through the Make-A-Wish Foundation was to go to New York, come to where I work, meet Jimmy, and have Jimmy help him pick out clothes. I'm like, what? The first time that happened to me, because you don't have to book time with me. I'm pretty accessible. You can find me pretty easy, you know, albeit I need more on Orchard Street. I was at my previous job before that um, for years, and um, I worked at Trash and Vaudeville for years, you know, so it was easy to find. So the very first time it happened to me, and I do want to share this story, uh, is um, I was dressing this little girl, like the teenage girl, whatever, and she just kept saying, yeah, Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy. I kept saying, yeah, yeah, I'm Jimmy, whatever. Because you've got to be a little humble about it. I'm not that great. I'm just Jimmy. You know what I mean? I'm just blessed enough to be myself. And she was buying, like, a ton of clothes. They were getting a ton of clothes. And... Um, I mean, the, cl- the pile at the register was pretty intense. And she was, like, with four or five older women. And I was just like, I was like, wow, I wonder what's going on here. Back to school shopping. I remember it was summer or whatever. And one of the women grabbed me by my arm, tight by my arm. And I remember I was reaching up for a little plaid, like, mini skirt, a schoolgirl skirt, you know, a Britney Spears skirt, or a stripper skirt, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> or a dominatrix skirt, depending really how you look at it. I think... Getting a little skirt and a, and a little red plaid necktie and a little schoolgirl fitted punk rock top. And the woman grabbed me by my arm. That's how clear it is. And she goes, I have something to tell you. And I'm like, um, okay. Um, you know, I mean, I'm like, okay. You know, just kind of like not really paying attention. She goes, no, no, no. I have something to tell you. And I'm like, okay, well, just tell me. She goes, no, I have something to tell you. So I knew to look her in the eyes. You obviously really want my attention. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah. And she goes, we're from the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And her wish was to come meet you. And we took her everywhere. FAO Schwartz was around. We took her to FAO Schwartz. We took her all up and down Fifth Avenue. We took her to Macy's on 34th Street, you know, the famous Macy's. And she wouldn't spend a penny until she got here with you. Well, I almost... I didn't even know what to do. Everything went through my mind. I mean, Make-A-Wish Foundation, dying kid. She's like 11, 12 years old, 13 years old. Well, I never turned up the knobs so much, and I was never so Jimmy ever in my life. Blah, blah, blah. She leaves. I wonder if she knew. I wonder if she knew I knew. Blah, blah, blah. Alice Cooper comes in shortly thereafter, right? Like a mother. Alice is a good friend of mine. He is now. And, and... I was talking to him about it because who has this experience mm-hmm. that that just blows you away so much? And he was telling me, he said, inside, because that's happened to him a couple of times, but he's Alice Cooper. He's a little prepared when it's going to happen, right? Slash, it's happened to my friend Slash a handful of times, too. He's prepared, too. My other few times, it's been via Slash. 
anyhow, um, as Alice Cooper put it, because it's the only way to explain it, it's like when you're looking at someone, when you're looking at a kid, and you know they're really sick, the chances are they're not going to live. Mm-hmm. And they're looking back, and inside your soul, inside you, your head and heart saying, wow, is there anything I can do? And the look you're getting back is no. Mm-hmm. Just be you. There's nothing more magical than that. And you know who gave me that? Iggy Pop gave me that. Iggy Pop took me and the soundtrack, he's a soundtrack to my life. He's a mentor. His music, his words, his interviews traveled with me all the way to the gutter and all the way back. 16 years ago when I got clean from heroin addiction, it took me, no, 21 years ago, what am I saying? Took six months to teach me to bathe and a full year to read and write again. They had me copy children's books so everything could cognitively work. I listened to Iggy music when I could and I heard it in my head when I couldn't. And where that all brought me to is Iggy just said, he just did a big book interview here in New York and it's, it's amazing. When I see him at Carnegie Hall now, saving the monks, doing the Save Tibet show, Iggy fucking pop at fucking Carnegie Hall. Still being Iggy and taking the room by storm. Standing on the same stage where Billie Holiday, Liza Minnelli, and Judy Garland took. And everybody stood and everybody famous in between. That's pretty punk rock. Saving monks, doing it his way. Taking it up 35,000 notches. Looking for another star higher in the sky, grabbing it and swinging from it. That's more punk rock than anything I know. That's my inspiration. And that's my I need more, okay? And he was just saying it's like, You know, after you've been bad in your life, when I'm talking, when we're talking about turning it around, and you know, the guy that was in the park and coming back together, it's like, after you've been bad for so long, there's only one way you can go, and that's to be good. Yeah, and that comes back to the beginning of the story when we started this. It's all about integrity. It's all about character. It's all about being true to yourself. You know, you hear a lot of things about loyalty. Yeah, well, loyalty is good, but be loyal to what's right. And every day be open, harder, and stronger to what's right. That's rock and roll. That's what I see tattooed on your arm. You know what I mean? That's punk rock. You know? That's singing What a Wonderful World as you're dying of cancer. Yeah. No future? What's no future? Why would I go around in 2017 and say no future? That doesn't even make any sense. It's cool on a t-shirt. I get it. All right, Vivian Westwood, keep fucking going. You're fucking awesome. That store up on West 57th Street next to the Pierre, whoo, she's doing it her way. That all started with a pair of bondage pants. God bless her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even Johnny Rotten says make money. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever, but I'm not trying to get on a flag yeah. about being a good person and being your color pink. I mean, I think that that's an amazing place to stop. 
I think that that's 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 perfect. Okay. I know you also have so much stuff you have to do to get ready for your store opening. Do you have a date for the store yet, or is it like Um, it's up in the air? After Labor Day. After Labor Day. Yeah, the grand opening will be in October, but in September or something like that. Okay. Yeah, like yeah, September, October. Yeah. Well, thank you for making the time. No, my pleasure. uh, I I will talk to you all the time. I know we'll keep going all day. Yeah. You know, you might have noticed I'm once again not fucking singing like I usually do at the end of the thing. It's two months in a row now. Uh, don't worry, I'll sing again next month. But um, it's a whenever I tried to sing this song, I started crying after listening to this interview. It was too much. Um, B, uh, I just it seems look we're let's be a little respectful of a dead person and not sing in a goofy voice. You know, I, I can do that. Um, so thank you to Jimmy for living. Um, so wild and free and for being a um, beacon of hope for so many young freaks uh, I remember seeing Jimmy for the first time as a kid like a little kid and uh, not little I don't know 13 and just having my mind blown um, and I hope that you all enjoyed listening to this interview I hope everyone is doing okay um, and uh, thank you again to Mikey for sharing it with me and I hope that um, all the other um, sweet beautiful freaks are uh, taking care of themselves out there it's a scary time um, and doing their best to stay alive so we can um, all be a beacon for the next generation of young uh, little weirdos trying to make their way through the terrible world if they're even is a world to make their way through. Um, I don't know. That was fucking glum. Sorry that it's not more hopeful. Uh, no cops, no creeps, no borders. Uh, fuck ice, free Palestine. Peace in the pizzeria. I'm out.